It's a delight to be with you again. You will find our scripture today in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. The Apostle Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. For grace was given to each one of us according to the manner, to the measure of Christ's gift. Amen. You may be seated. It is indeed a joy to be with you again this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to open God's word. Let us pray. Our Father, we open your word and we pray that you would open our hearts to receive it. They're to be given in a way that is pleasing to you and understandable in our own hearts and lives. In this we pray in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Some years ago, I received a letter which is entitled, The Call to Jury Service. At that time, ministers had just been allowed to serve on, on juries. As I read the letter, it was more of a summons than it was a calling. I was ordered to appear before the judge to see whether I was worthy or not to be called as a witness in a jury situation. That is much of the idea of the word calling that we find here in Ephesians chapter 4. And keep your Bibles open to, to that passage as we will look at it in a little more detail. Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians and he calls them to the saints at Ephesus and to all of those that are faithful in serving Christ. So that includes us this morning. As we begin Lent, though we do not observe it as a technical calendar event, it's a time to prepare our hearts for that wonderful event that we call Easter. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 says, consider your calling. The word consider means to analyze it. And this morning we want to analyze your calling. Most of us re prefer to think of a calling as something that a missionary or a minister receives. But do you realize that each one has a calling that is worthy of praise this morning? You have been called to a magnificent purpose in God's kingdom, just as much as the pastor has been called, and just as much as the missionaries that you pray for and that we respect. You have been called to a very special purpose in God's kingdom. And this is more of a summons than it is just calling out your name. 
It is to appear before God in a way in which that our lives reflect his glory. If salvation was the only purpose for us being saved, what do you think God would have done the moment we became saved? He would have taken us home to glory. And there are many times in which I wish that had already happened. But God has another purpose, not only to save us for glory, but to save us to reflect his glory here on earth. Most of us know the first question of the catechism is, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that enjoyment starts now. But glorifying him starts now as well. And God has left us here for a rich purpose. You are to be a representative of Christ in a daily basis, where you work, where you live, where you serve, in, all, in every situation and in all circumstances. We are here to glorify God as his representative. In fact, that's what the name Christian means. It means a little Christ. And there are some people that will never enter a church building, but they will know what Christ is like because of who you are in the midst of the daily, day-to-day -day living. So let us look at this passage in greater detail. Verse 1 is an introduction to the end of Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians tell us of the glorious riches that we have in Christ. It is filled with doctrine, the mystery of God over the ages is that the Gentiles were included in his church. You and I, unless we have Jewish heritage, are Gentiles, and we have been incorporated into the great and marvelous plan of God. Paul said, I therefore, because of what he has repeated, for us in chapters 1 through 3 is great doctrine and the doctrine is supposed to form the skeleton in our bodies we all should have that in common and that's seeing the doctors can work on patients different patients the fleshly part of us is a filling out of that skeleton and that's what Paul begins to do in this wonderful passage. Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. Christianity is not some idealistic, out-of-the-way way of life. It is living life where it is most difficult. And Paul reminds him, and this is the second time that he has told him in this one letter that he is a prisoner for the Lord and he said I urge you the word urge is a very strong word there and it's not as strong as forcing us God doesn't force us to do anything but he allows us that free will to do his will in the method that we choose to do what God has and that he urges us to walk the word walk there is really 
the idea of how we carry our lives is walking around. It is not just in going from here to there. Listen to how Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, reflects this. He says, in light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner up for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do not that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. That's his modern way of translating this passage. So it's how we carry ourselves. What is the world going to think of Christ when they see you acting in the world around us? And then he recognized that we have been called, and the word called is mentioned four times in this passage that we read, just in seven verses, that you are called, you are on a mission. And I prefer to, rather than calling missionaries, missionaries, I prefer to call them missioners. And we all are missionaries, that you go out of this place to represent Christ in the world. What a wonderful task that is. What a challenging task that is. And we cannot do that without remembering who we are in the midst of this. Our calling, our summons, is to appear before the world as representatives of God in the midst of them. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, you did not choose me, I chose you to go and bear fruit. Fruit is used in a number of different ways in the scriptures. Sometimes it's used as fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace, and patience which come from the work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. And sometimes it is the work of our hands and what we are doing for God's kingdom. A cup of cold water given in his name is as important as a sermon that is preached behind the pulpit. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son that all of us are called together into the fellowship of Christ that means we are being saved in fact the word saved is in three different tenses that we are we have been saved from sin we are being saved from the presence of sin and then we will fully be saved from the power of sin in the midst of life eternally. And then 1 Corinthians 1-2 says that we are called to be saints. And we don't go around calling each other saints. But Paul did. He said to the saints that are at Ephesus, to the saints that are called according to God's purposes. And certain branches of the Christian faith has categories for saints but in actuality all of you are saints to be 
what God wants us to be in the midst of life. Second Timothy 1.9 reads, God saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. It is going to be grace, especially that we have the Lord's Supper so regularly every week to remind us that it's by grace, not only that we've been saved, but by grace that we live and are sanctified in the midst of that. And so our calling influences our character. And Paul goes on to say in this Ephesians passage, walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness. The two words that are there, humility and gentleness. Let's start with humility for a moment. You realize that humility is the second most discussed virtue in all the scriptures, next only to love. And so our humility must be evident to those around us, to our colleagues, to our family, at the grocery store, at the gas station, to the waiter and waitress at the restaurants where we go. Humility. It's not something that comes of our own effort. It only comes by God's grace. Samuel Logan Ringle was the first American commander of the Salvation Army. He was a student in Boston when he received full revelation of God's grace in his life. And he decided then that he wanted to be a part of the Salvation Army. He was a very famous preacher, by the way. In fact, he had been offered as pastor of many of the leading churches in the Methodist denomination, but he chose to go to London to work for the Salvation Army. He ended that work very reluctantly. In fact, William Booth said to him, you are a dangerous man because you have been your boss for too long. And so Samuel Logan Bringle was given the task of polishing the shoes of all the other trainees of the Salvation Army. And you can imagine going from a well-known speaker to polishing shoes. And Samuel did not like that very much and neither would you or I like to do that. We don't like the mundane thing that keeps life moving on. And so he was complaining one day and he was meditating upon the scriptures and God brought the scriptures that Jesus washed his, the disciples' feet to his mind. And he said it was as, as if God in Christ was just standing right before him if I washed your feet, you can polish boots. And that changed his life. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, said C.S. Lewis, but it says thinking of yourself less. Less and less in accordance with what God was doing. To have a servant's heart is what humility. When you see a job that needs to be done, I've learned this on my on my daily walks, I try to walk, even in the wintertime. Thankfully, they keep the roads pretty clear here in New Hampshire. 
and complained about the trash that people threw out on the road. And then God spoke to me one day and said, well, why don't you start picking it up? So I carried a trash bag with me, a small bag that you can get from Walmart or Marketplace or Hannaford's or somewhere like that, and pick up the trash as I go. I don't particularly like to do that. In fact, sometimes the trash is pretty nasty. God calls us to have a servant's heart and not to complain about the way things are, but to make things better because we have been there. Lanny, Lauren Sandy was with a group called Navigators for over 30 years. And he had spoken to a group of students. They worked primarily with college students in helping them to learn the scriptures and to apply the scriptures to their daily life in obedience. And he had spoken of a servant attitude. And one of the students said, how do you know when you have a servant's attitude? And Lauren Sandy said, when you're treated like a servant, it's how you react. And sometimes we think we ought to be treated a lot better than we are. This is applied to families as well as in the church. In fact, I read a humorous story in Reader's Digest not too long ago in life in the military in which this man had just been promoted to major. I'm very proud of that. And he was in his office for the very first time. And he picked up the telephone when someone came in, a private came in to see him. And he picked up the telephone and said, yes, General, I'm so glad to talk to you. Thank you for asking for my help. I'll be glad to help you. Goodbye. The private said, sir, I'm here to hook up your telephone. And sometimes we are like that, that we think that we are more important than anyone else around us, and we want them to know that. And so humility, it says, with all, meaning complete humility in everything that we do. I was talking with a group of teenagers some time ago, and one of the teenagers said that my father is not the same at home as he is at church. And I said, what do you mean? He said, he doesn't act the way he should at home in the same way that he works at church. And I said, how sad that is. What a testimony, a false testimony to the power of grace in our lives. Our calling influences our character and who we are and how we think of others as well as thinking of ourselves. And it says humility and gentleness. That word gentleness as translated various ways by different people. Sometimes it's meekness. It's a hard word to understand in the English language, but it really means power under control. That when you have the power and you choose not to use it. The illustration that comes to mind is that of a, of a nursing mother dog. When all of the puppies 
fighting over getting some nourishment and she has the power to just kick them away and I'm sure that there are times in which the mothers feel that same way with their own children and yet she chooses to let the puppies nourish get nourishment from her and so gentleness is really using our gifts for the benefit of other, other people, whether they appreciate it or not. And then it goes on to say, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. That is a word that is lacking in today's society. We want everything right now. Um, individualism demands that we are satisfied. And sometimes we want music in church we want the right people in our lives have you ever been in the grocery store and you get the slowest cashier that's there and you're looking at the lines and you're thinking I should have gotten another line you see God said he wants to give us the patience and sometimes the patience comes from the circumstances to which we are involved in and it is God's grace only that molds us to accept life the way it is with patience and the word the patience there is the Greeks had two different words for patience one was patience in circumstances that we cannot change and one was with people that we cannot change and this is dealing with people dealing with gentleness and humility and patience people around us and how important that is in today's society with husbands and wives when we need to understand it is God's grace that brought you together and sometimes teenagers need that patience as well and parents need that patience with teenagers recognizing that we are all sinners some saved by grace and others have not that experience yet. Our calling molds our conduct and not not only influences how we walk in life, but how we carry ourselves and, the, and how we treat one another. And the, this passage goes on to say, bearing with one another in love, bearing with one another. Some of the translation has the word forbearing. And the idea there is putting your shoulder to the task. It's the idea wall that's about to fall and there's a kid playing near that wall and you go and you put your shoulder against the wall to bear it up to allow the child to get away and that's what bearing with one another is putting our shoulder to the task whether it's in the church or at home or in our work it is doing it so that others can have the liberty of life and going on and eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in love love is not a feeling love is a commitment we have lost a sense of commitment in today's society and we're no longer committed to our jobs we're no longer committed to our marriage we're no longer committed to our spouses in the midst of that but notice the word eager that means that that we want to take the first step to make sure that we maintain 
for unity. The word key word is maintain. It is not to make it, but to maintain it in the spirit of Christ. And there are many things that separate churches. I've known of churches separated because of the color of curtains that were put in the parlor because one wanted one color and one group wanted another color. And my color was not selected. I've known people to leave the church because of the translation of the Bible that was used instead of recognizing that it is the word of God and each translation is there for a purpose and no matter what the purpose was. Remember, we used to use the King James Version almost entirely and I love the King James. All my Bible memory work was in the King James Version and I get all mixed up in today's society when I start quoting verses because I haven't read the King James in a very long time but I memorized it and then I read a passage and then they mixed up the words a little bit but I've heard people that leave churches because of, of changing the Bible there's one couple that left the church because we changed Sunday school curriculum they were not exactly pleased with the, with the curriculum and we to listen to these things but we still need to maintain the sometimes it's more important to maintain the unity than it is to be right. And husbands and wives have turned out to be some truth, I am sure. That to be right is important. To be right on the major things and allow the minor things to go by the board. To maintain the unity of the spirit. It is the spirit that holds us together, whether it be a church, and we are a nation divided right now. COVID has divided us even more. We're divided between conservative and liberal, between Democrat and Republican, and if we focus on those divisions, we end up with one result, but if we focus on the unity, what is really important in the midst of this it changes it like money and the bond of peace. There are many protests that start out to be peaceful and then all of a sudden it changes it to you know what the word protest or Protestant really means? Protestant means protestant. And that we are protesting the ways in which the church was conducted in those days. But it was done peaceful and mannerly way in which the, we did it in love for the gospel and love for the Lord Jesus Christ and carrying out his purposes. Don't think you can do this on your own. It is by God's grace. And to each of us, says verse 7, but grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. That you have been given a gift to serve God in this world. He, Paul goes on to mention seven ones. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Each of those could entail a sermon on its own. But 
time does not allow us to do all of that in one sermon. But you have been given a task, a mission, to go out and glorify God in the midst of daily living and how it is revealed, makes a difference in other people's lives, and especially in the life of a church. And we now find ourselves in a way in which that more than ever we need to maintain the unity and the spirit in peace and in love. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we rejoice in your watch care upon our lives and thank you that you have entrusted unto us the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving unto us the task to reflect your glory in the midst of our daily life. May we walk worthy of that calling in all that we are and all that we are called to do. In Christ's name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.